0: Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bibles and open it to the book of James. We are back in James. James chapter 3, verse 1. James 3, 1. As we continue or resume our series on James, we'll look at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardcover Bible in the chair in front of you, under the chair in front of you. You can turn to page... 1072. Page 1072, please. And um, if if this is your first time looking at the Bible, the... The small numbers are the verse numbers, and the big numbers are the chapter numbers. And so we're at chapter 3, big number 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Those are the small numbers, okay? Hear God's word from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that you will receive, that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot, or wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Father, we ask now that you would help us. Our hearts are cold, callous, insensitive, trapped by excuses that we have believed. So incline our hearts to your, to your testimonies and not to material gain. We are blind, Lord, and we see you put wonderful things in front of us and we miss it. So open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word and to see the beauty and magnificence of Christ and your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us this morning with your steadfast covenant love so that we would rejoice in you and be glad in you all of our days for in that you are most glorified. Draw us near to you. Convict us. Shape us. Mature us through your word. Help me to preach and help us to hear because apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. We need you. And we trust that you will help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This past week was 2 I don't know what day that was. I think it was Tuesday or something like that, or Wednesday. 2-3-23, which was known as Michael Jordan Day to some. Michael Jordan wore the number 23 for most of his career. He is known for his basketball greatness. Indeed, he is the second greatest player of all time second-greatest basketball player of all time, um, behind a Laker. Um, now, Michael Jordan, was fam- he had a famous habit that he would do when he was playing basketball. Do you know what his famous habit was? When he'd be playing basketball or, yeah, doing something great or in a dunk contest, he would stick out his tongue when he would fly through the air and dunk. He was known for sticking out his tongue. Now, some would argue that the greatest and most powerful act and acts and accomplishments of Michael Jordan have to do with what he did with the basketball. But God and common sense and James 3 would tell us that his most significant accomplishments and most powerful acts have happened outside of the basketball court, namely with his tongue, and not what he did with his tongue on the basketball court, obviously. Speaking words is what we do with our tongue. The tongue represents our mouth, our words. And when we... uh, Words are are so powerful that when we are threatened with the loss of words, we feel the fear of not being able to speak anymore. On January 1st, 2023, Pastor Jeff Ludington was right here behind this pulpit, and his biggest fear, one of his biggest fears and prayer requests, is: we prayed in the room and we prayed for him as a church, was that he would not lose his voice because they were going to operate on his spine and he had to go through around the vocal cords, so there was a, a, a potential of him losing his voice but they almost guaranteed he'd lose his voice for a few months and maybe even longer than that for years that's scary to permanently lose your, like as a pastor who preaches every week behind the pulpit, to lose your voice for the rest of your life that's scary but that's not always scary for pastors, right? If you lost your voice for the rest of your life and you were unable to speak, that would drastically change the rest of your life, wouldn't it? That is such a significant part of who you are and what you do. Your words, what you say, what comes out of your mouth. The ability to speak and use words is a gift from God. And so we praise God for the gift that we have with the ability to speak most of us do it is one of the ways it's one way that most of us get to reflect god's image but words can also be very dangerous and hurtful and seriously evil even demonic so james and god want us to watch our mouths watch your mouth Watch what you say. Watch your words. Or as James says in this passage, our tongues. Control your tongue. Tame your tongue. We frequently take our words too lightly. And God is telling us this morning to stop taking your words so lightly. Here's the main goal. Learn the importance of your words so that you mature in watching your mouth. Learn the importance of words so that you mature in watching your mouth, watching your words. Now, what, are, what should we learn? If we're going to learn the importance of words, what lessons should we learn? There are four lessons here in this passage about our words that we should learn so that we watch our mouths. Lesson number one, your words will be judged, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, your words are powerful, verses 3 through 5. Thirdly, your words are a deadly fire. Verses 6 through 8. And fourthly, your words reveal your hypocrisy. Verses 9 through 12. Okay? Four lessons to learn about your words. Your words will be judged. They're powerful. They are a deadly fire. And they reveal your hypocrisy. Let's think about these one at a time. Starting with the first one here. Your words will be judged. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says here, Not many of you, not many should become what? teachers, my brothers, because you know that you will receive, that we will receive a stricter judgment. So here he's prohibiting people, he's warning people from becoming teachers. And teachers, why, why, should, they, why should they be um, scared to be teachers? Why should we not have many teachers? According to verse 1, the reason is there. They'll receive what? A stricter judgment. They'll receive a stricter judgment. Why will they receive a stricter judgment? Verse 2, what do you mean stricter judgment, James? What's wrong with teaching? Well, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is, a, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Teachers use their words, they speak. And verse 2 is telling us we stumble in many ways, we sin in many ways, not just with our words. And if we can control our tongues, our words, what we say, then we're mature. But if we can't, we will be more strictly judged for what we say as a teacher. If you teach God's word, if you speak on behalf of God to people, you are accountable for those words. You'll be judged with the, for those words, and you'll be judged with a stricter judgment than others. Now, let's think about the word teachers. What does it mean? teachers because in a sense we're all teachers right the great commission tells us to go therefore and disciple all nations discipling is teaching and at the end of verse 20 says teaching them to obey everything i commanded you all of you are commanded as christians if you're not a christian you're commanded to be a christian and do this commission as well so there's a command to you as well you are responsible to teach people to obey everything christ commanded that's your responsibility as a christian so we're all teachers in a sense and in, a sen- in another sense, none of us are teachers. In Matthew 23, Matthew 23, verses 8 through 10, Jesus says this: "You are not to be called rabbi, because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters." In verse 10, he says, "You are not to be called teachers or instructors either, because you have one teacher or one instructor, the Messiah." So, am I an instructor? Am I a teacher? Am I, am I the one teacher? No. There's only one teacher, he, that's the Messiah. There's only one rabbi, and that's the one teacher, Jesus Christ. So in another sense, none of us are teachers. There's only one teacher for Christians, Jesus. So in one sense, we're all teachers. In another sense, none of us are the teacher. But in the sense James is speaking about here, chapter 3, verse 1, he's speaking of those who are publicly recognized in the churches as teachers. Now, who would that be? You guys tell me. Who would that be? Who would the teachers of the church be? Pastors, Pastors elders, overseers, all of the same office. Pastor, elder, overseers. Yeah, you're, you're right. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, that an elder or an overseer must be able to teach. He must be able to teach. So, yes, pastor, elders, and overseers are teachers. Are there more teachers in the church than just pastor, elder, overseers? Yes or no? How many of you say... No, there are only the only teachers in the church are the pastor elders and overseers. Those are the only teachers in the church. Raise your hand if you guess. If, you, if that's your guess, you have to guess. <laughs> All right. How many of you say no? There are more teachers in the church than pastor elder overseers. Raise your hand. Okay, I think that's true as well. I think it most likely includes other teachers, and there are tons of verses on this. Romans twelve six and seven. To just I'll just pick two here. Romans twelve six and seven. I have like 10 verses here in my notes, but I don't have time to get through all of them. Romans 12, 6 through 7 says, According to the grace given to each of us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, use it in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Now, preaching behind the pulpit is teaching, but it's more than teaching. There's exhorting going on here. So it says, if teacher, if te- if you have the gift of teaching in your teaching, if exhorting in your exhortation. And so preaching behind the pulpit is teaching and exhortation. Exhorting. But there is a teaching that is teaching that's not exhortation. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 8, just turn there to the right of Romans, if you if you're fast enough. If not, just listen. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. So there's some gifts there. In 1 Corinthians 12, 20, 28 and 29, says, and um, it says, if God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, and various kinds of tongues. And then he answers, asks this question. Tell me the answer to Paul's questions here, about our church and all churches. Are all apostles in the church... No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. And so, but there are some who have these gifts. So there are some who are teachers. There are some who are prophets. There are some who are apostles, in in Paul's day especially. And so there are teachers in the church as well as pastors. So pastors are a subset, pastors, my point here is that pastors, elders, overseers are a subset of recognized teachers in a church. Now we are praying in this church for more pastors, elders, and overseers. We want as many as the Lord will give us. We're not desperate, we're not dying for it, we're not... We're not um, unable to function without more pastor, elders, and overseers in our church. But we also don't want to be a stagnant church. We're just the same pastor, elders, and overseers, and we're not raising up more men to be pastors. But we need more than just pastor, elders, and overseers in our church. We need more teachers. We need more teachers. We need those who would teach in children's ministry, those who teach in student ministry to our junior high and high schoolers. We need divinity school teachers for Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We need city group leaders who will teach. We need Sunday night gathering teachers and preachers. We need women teachers and preachers who preach and teach to women and children. We need one-on-one, one-on-one Bible readers and teachers. We need biblical counselors who are teachers. Peter's preach, or Peter and a few of us are teaching a biblical counseling class. We're going to have biblical counseling for the next several weeks. We would like you to take that. We want you to grow in teaching. Now, some of you will take on a functional role as a recognized counselor to counsel people. That's teaching one-on-one. We need more counselor teachers. So this is a helpful word, not just for future pastors. We need more teachers. And if you're not going to be a teacher, that's okay. Not everyone is supposed to be a teacher. But you need to know what God recognizes and calls for in teachers as a member of this church. Teachers and preachers are to teach the Bible in its literary and canonical context, consistent with the apostles' teaching, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Nothing more, nothing less. Teachers and preachers are supposed to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so they need to understand a text like James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, but they need to understand it in light of the whole book of James and the whole Bible and teach that to people. Teacher should be, according to 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Correctly teaching the word of truth. The King James Version, still deep in my mind, study to shew thyself, approved unto God. Do you know what shew means? S-H-E-W? It means show. Study to shew thyself, approved to God, approved unto God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, correctly teaching the word of truth. Now, because I think this is a broader category, I think we already have other teachers in our church, in our churches, and I think we do well to formally recognize them as a church in some way. Even though they might not have the regularity of teaching that a pastor would, they might be teaching somewhat regularly or might teach more than some of our pastors publicly. That's okay. The difference between a pastor, elder, and overseer and teachers in the church is teachers teach the word. Pastor elders and overseers teach the word. They preach the word and they exercise oversight or governing or leading in the church. Teachers don't have to exercise oversight. Leading and governing in the church. That's not part of their responsibility. The pastors are responsible to do that and teach. Okay, so that's a distinction for you. to to think about and pray about now why shouldn't many become bible teachers you guys said it because they'll receive a stricter what stricter judgment but that's not just true of teachers it's especially true of teachers but will you be judged for your words as well yes you will jesus said in matthew 12 36 i tell you on the day of judgment people will have to account for every careless word they speak you will have to account on judgment day for every careless word you speak First Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 talks about every member of the church building up the church with either gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And your works, your speaking, your discipling, your exhorting, your encouraging will be judged by God and will either be burned up. And then you'll receive eternal life with, um, though, though your work will be burned up and you'll experience loss or you'll be rewarded for the quality of your work. And a lot of your work in building up the church is speaking the truth in love. So, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. We sang that. Those of you who were here earlier and on time, we sang that. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little mouth, what you say. Because there is a judgment. And not only is there a judgment, we all stumble in many ways. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. That's us say we, we sin in many ways. We sin with our words and we sin in many other ways. If we all stumble in many ways, and the point here is that all of us stumble, all of us sin, or to use Paul's words, um, all have fallen short of the glory of god all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of god and we glor- we sin with our words we speak sinful and foolish words of haste words of pride words of selfishness self-serving words of exaggeration words of sly suggestion words of manipulative flattery words of anger, words of slander, words of gossip, words of innuendo, words of competition, self-aggrandizing, guilt-tripping, shame-inducing, criticism, thoughtlessness, crude joking, joking by put-downs, conflict, contentious words, words that sow seeds of doubt or cynicism or skepticism or impurity or rebellion or threat or condemnation or self-selecting details to make yourself look better than you are, or recounting arguments to make you sound wiser than you are when you tell other people what you argued about with somebody else, making your your conversation partner that you were arguing with sound more foolish and making you sound more wise. We stumble in many ways with our words. We sin in a plethora of ways with our words. Recently, I sinfully made a joke that was mean-spirited and hurtful to one of my kids at the dinner table. It was terrible and hurtful and sinful. And praise God that by God's grace, God forgives me of my sin. Praise God by his grace. My child or children that I asked for forgiveness forgave me of my sin. But I stumbled. I sinned against God with my words. Very flippantly, very quickly, very thoughtlessly Speaking. ...and sinning and stumbling. We all stumble. Does that mean we're all excused from sinning? No, we're accountable for our words. We all stumble, we're all sinners, but we are not all excused. It does not excuse our sin, it indicts us before God. And so we need good news, and here is good news. The good news is that stumblers who deserve judgment can be forgiven and delivered from judgment... The good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life you should have lived, to die on the cross for your sins, and to rise from the dead. We are accountable to God. We are standing in judgment before before God. And it says in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus said, I only say the words the Father gives me. Jesus controlled His tongue. It says here in verse 2, if anyone can control what he says, he is mature. Another translation for mature in the King James is what? He's what? Perfect. Jesus is the only perfect man who never spoke a word, a sinful, stumbling word. He never stumbled. And yet, he took on the strictest judgment. Not just a stricter judgment, he took on the strictest judgment. He dies on the cross and is crushed under the wrath of God in darkness, hanging for six hours, and the last three hours hanging in darkness saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because of strict judgment, that's why. Because of stricter judgment, that's why. Because of the strictest judgment for all the pastors and all the teachers who would ever stumble with their words for every member of every church who would stumble and sin and say a slanderous or or false or um, uneven or foolish word. The judgment that we deserve fell on Christ for sinners like you and me. And he rose from the dead, defeating sin, paying the penalty, paying the ransom, so that every sinner who repents from their sins and trusts in Jesus Christ will be saved. Trust in Jesus Christ today if you're not a Christian. Children, trust in Jesus Christ today. As you learn to speak, we want you to grow in your ability to speak and think. But you sin, and I sin. So kids, Jesus will forgive you of your sins. Have you ever said a mean thing to your brother or your sister? Have you ever said a mean thing? You have, Peter? You said a mean thing to your brother or sister? Okay, good. Have you said a mean thing to your parents? If you ever got angry at your parents and used your words to get angry at your parents, God will forgive you if you repent and believe in Jesus. Have you ever said something sinful to your spouse, your neighbor? Sin, evil. God can forgive you through Jesus Christ if you repent and believe in him. And James says again in verse 2, if someone, now, I, I translated verse 2, look at verse 2 again. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is what? It says here he is what? Mature. The King James says he is what? Perfect. Now that's the same Greek word. Perfect. I mean, those are two good translations of the same word. That same word is used in James chapter 1, verse 4. Consider a great joy when you have various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its, its perfect word, work in you. Let, let the endurance work in you. Verse 4, why? Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be what? Sure. Mature perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Jesus is the perfect man, but we are called to pursue maturity, perfection, and people can pursue and achieve maturity, not perfection, but people can achieve maturity in this Christian life. So Christian, think twice before you step up to teach kids or divinity school or Sunday night sermons. Church family, let's keep confessing the truth of the gospel. Let's hold to our confession of faith as a church. We confessed Article 1 today. It would be good for you to read through our confession of faith as a church to know what we believe biblical truth is and hold your pastors accountable to that biblical standard of teaching. Check the preaching by the Bible. That's why we do expository preaching in this church. We want the words and goal and tone of the text to control the words and goal and tone of the message. If you're not a Christian, I want to apologize to you this morning. It can be difficult to find out what true Christianity is because there are many teachers who teach many different things. And you're like, what is Christianity? There's so many churches, so many denominations, so many teachings out there. And I just want to say to you, we're sorry that there are so many different things out there that it's hard to find the truth. Thank you for being here. I want to encourage you to keep looking at your Bible and keep looking to Jesus. So ask your questions. If you're not a Christian, ask your questions about Christianity here. We will do our best to explain not only what we think the Bible teaches, but why other people teach differently. And then you check us by the Bible and find out who God really is, that you might know him for yourself. Children, we love you, and that's why you're here in this gathering this morning, because we want you to learn God's word. We want you to learn God's truth. And then we have children's class for you next week. If you want to go there or if your parents let you go there, if your parents want you here. But either way, we have children's teachers who are going to teach you God's Word because God loves you and because we love you. All right, so that's the first lesson. Okay, learn the importance of words, um, particularly because your words will be judged. Secondly, because your words are powerful. So let's go through these next two a little bit quicker. Your words are powerful. Look at verse 3. It says here, Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. Horses are big and strong and powerful compared to humans. I remember I would be fearful as a dad when one of my children was spending a summer just down the street here um, caring for horses. Two of my kids were were just teaching them to do hard labor, so go um, groom horses as a volunteer. So they would do that for a summer. Once a week, they'd go there, and I would just be like, are are you making sure you're not standing behind the horse? You know, like, not to get kicked by a horse, because these horses are huge. And my kids are small little teenagers, right? Or 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, walking around these horses, grooming these horses, cleaning up after these horses. And these horses are great, but they can be dangerous. They're big. And yet they can be controlled by a small little bit put in between their teeth and their gums because in the horse's mouth it is extremely sensitive that when you pull because of it they don't to decrease the pain they'll follow wherever the bit pulls them and then you could direct the horse's direction with a little tiny bit in their mouth in their sensitive part big horse small bit and you can control the horse it's a disproportionate, uh, disproportionate between the size of the bit and the power of its control over a large thing like a horse. But not only horses, look at verse 5 or verse 4, and consider ships. Though ships are very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs it. Again, disproportionate. So, um, one website said that for uh, ships that are 120 meters or longer, it needs a rudder that is 2% of the, the ship. What's 2% of 120? What is it? 2.4? Okay, two point, so it's, what's 2.4 meters? That is like uh, 8 feet, 8 or 9 feet. So if you take the size, 120 meters, think of a, think of a football field with one-third added to it. So a football field is about 90 meters. Just add 100, to make it 120 meters, just add one more third to that. So a football field and then some, right, two more end zones perhaps. That is how large a ship would be, and you got like an eight-foot rudder steering that huge football field, bigger than the football field of a ship. That's really small compared to something that large and huge. And so the point here is that small things can control large and, and powerful things. So verse five, so too, though the tongue though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. There it is. The, to- the tongue I mean, the tongue is so small. I was tempted I know where in COVID days, I was tempted to have all of you stick out your tongues at me all at the same time to see how big your tongues are. That would probably be inappropriate here. so don't do it. but) Your tongue is small, even if you have longer tongues, as some of you are trying, okay, yeah. Um, (laughs) Your tongues are not that big compared to the rest of your body. It's so small, yet it boasts powerful effects in your life. Like I said with Michael Jordan, doing great things on the basketball court, second greatest player of all time, yet what he does with his tongue is far more powerful of the effect of his life before God, before people for all eternity small part of your body with huge effects. That's the point. Look at verse 5 now. Finishing verse 5. Consider how small a fire sets ablaze to a large force. Just the third analogy. So you have the horse and the bit. You have the ship and the rudder. Now you have a, a fire, a forest fire that burns down acres and acres and acres of land and destroys houses in Southern California or in California in general with the California fires. And yet... Almost all these fires are started... Well, actually, all these fires are started with a, a lot smaller than what they end up being, right? I was tempted to have a, a lighter here and just, you know, turn it on. People might get scared or whatever. Why do you feel even... You know, um, one of the church members gifted us with a fire pit, the indoor fire pits. Those are really cool. You just put, like, rubbing alcohol in there, light on fire, and it has a flame that, that burns clean fire. You could use it to roast marshmallows, things like that. I, th- I was even thinking, like, oh, what if I put that here and lit it on fire for you guys to see? When we light it in our house, there's still this kind of caution that I feel like, oh man, like we gotta be careful with it because it can it can start a fire. It's small, the fire's like this big, but that small fire can burn down our whole house, right? Disproportionate power for its size. So learn that your words are very powerful. Let's go to point number three. Not only will you be judged with a stricter judgment, not only are your words powerful. Number three, your words are a deadly fire. They're used for a powerful evil effect. They're used for a deadly effect. Look at verses 6 through 8. And verse 6 has a ton of things for us to think about here. Look, look at verse 6. The tongue, so if a fire can set a blaze of forest, now James wants to think about this fire analogy, your tongue is a what? Verse, verse 6. Your tongue is a fire. Your tongue is a fire. What do you mean by fire, James? What's the analogy here? My tongue's not literally fire. Well, your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. That's the fire. Is it, it, it is unrighteous. It speaks unrighteous things. And not just small unrighteous things. It speaks so many unrighteous things that it creates a world of what? A world of unrighteousness. Small tongue, small part of your life and body, can create a world of unrighteousness in your, in your home, in your church, in the city, in the world, in families, in Friendships. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness, burning things up. Continuing on, it stains the what? It stains the whole body. Small part of your body, staining your whole body. And this is, this is um, just a powerful effect of it. It sets the course of life on what? Fire. Words change lives. Words set courses for people's direction for their lives. I can think of two sermons from John Piper in 2001, from Tim Keller in 2004, that changed the direction of my life. Just I thought, I could, I could summarize it in one sentence, for each of them, and that, those single sentences have changed the direction of my life. That's what words do. They set the course of your life, and if it's a world of unrighteousness, and this fire of unrighteousness, that burns and spreads and stains the whole body, it can set your your whole life in the wrong direction. And here's the climax of kind of the imagery here. And this fire, this tongue, is set on fire by what? Look at the end of verse 6. The tongue itself is set on fire by hell. The source of your thoughtless, sinful, evil, destructive words comes from where? It comes from hell. What does that mean, it comes from hell? Well, next week, Lord willing, we're going to be in James 3, verses 13 through 18. Look at 3.15, speaking about, well, 3.14 says, if there's bitter and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. That's what you do with your words, verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but this wisdom that leads to selfishness is earthly, it's unspiritual wisdom, and it's what? Demonic. So what is it saying? Your tongue is set on fire by hell because there are demons active in your life and in our church that tempt you and draw you to say sinful and stupid things. How fitting that this month, seen, you know, we're standing on holy ground. There are angels all around us. As we're singing that song, I'm thinking about the book of Hebrews, that there are, there are angels all around, and I just never, I rarely come to a Sunday gathering thinking about the presence of angels. I almost never think about the presence of angels on a Sunday gathering. You know what else, don't think, what else we don't think about? Demons. But they're present. They can be present here as you're listening to a sermon. right? What does Satan do with some of the seed? The first seed, it falls on the ground, and what does the bird do? It what? takes it out Satan does demons do that do you know that there's a spiritual war going on as you're listening to the sermon right now that demons and angels are participating in this gathering right now and demons are trying to light your tongue on fire again and again and again to destroy your life to destroy your relationships to destroy your friendships to destroy this church to deadly fire lit on fire by hell words weaken and kill marriages they change families they cause mental and spiritual distress that lead to the breakdown of the body it can split churches i've said uproot professions of faith in jesus i've seen it uproot professions of faith in jesus people who said they're christian no longer say they're christian because of words that were spoken to them read uh, words redirect lives it splits families it derails schools We're talking about modernism and theological liberalism upstairs for church history where you start to doubt some of the words of God and churches and denominations are split and derailed. It changes your careers. Words harden hearts. They start wars between nations. World wars are started by words. Words alter world history and they affect the eternal destinies of every single human. Every single human. Do you realize how powerful words are? Do you realize how powerful your words are? I almost guarantee, I should say to guarantee, but I'm preaching here, so I don't want to say, I don't want to overspeak here, it's, be careful with my words, right, as I'm speaking. I almost guarantee that you underestimate the weight of your words. I am confident that you take your words too lightly. It's a world of unrighteousness. It's a deadly fire, set on fire by hell. Look at verse 7. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. We could tame animals, right? We could tame birds. I mean, you can think of reptiles and animals, like land animals would be the easiest to tame. Birds could fly away, right? But we find, we find ways to, to get rare birds and tame them. And then you go to SeaWorld and you see Shamu, Right? tamed, controlled by humans, to some degree, most of the time, right? We could tame these animals, and yet no human can tame the tongue. It says in verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. Why? It is a restless evil. And your tongue is full of what? Deadly poison. Your tongue is poisonous. Your words are poisonous. Fatally poisonous. The point here is your words can strengthen a church. Your words can weaken a church. You can encourage souls. You can burn churches down with your words. So be careful and mindful of the privilege and power of words. Now, as a church family... Do we have, I mean, some might say, you know what, I mean, even, Jay, even Proverbs says, and Jebez is going to come and preach on Proverbs tonight, I don't think he's preaching on this proverb. There's a proverb that says, you know, with the multitude of words, there's bound to be sin. So maybe it's just better to not what? Just not talk. Let's not share takeaways. Let's just, let's just be quiet, right? If there's any Sunday to be quiet, it might be after this Sunday, Right? But we have to speak. We're called to speak, right? We're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to spread the word of God. And so, church family, we can't, we can't not speak. We have to speak the right words. And so, let's go to this fourth, fourth lesson. So, let me just recap the three lessons so far. Um, lesson number one: the importance of words. Your words will be judged. Lesson number two: your words are powerful. Number three: your words are a deadly fire, set on fire by hell and demons. And number four, lastly, your words reveal hypocrisy. Your words reveal your hypocrisy. Look at verses 9 and 10. With the tongue, so with the tongue, with your mouth, we bless our Lord and Father. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. You are holy, holy. Are you Lord God Almighty? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. We sang that, right? With our words, with our mouths. You bless God with your mouth, and with that same mouth that blessed that God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with that same mouth we curse people who are made in God's likeness. When you speak sinfully against those made in God's likeness, you don't primarily sin against them. You sin against whom? You sin against God. God. You praise God with one side of your mouth, you speak sinfully against people made in God's image with the other side of your mouth. Hypocrisy, inconsistency, guilt, right? We're guilty because we do that. And then look at verse 10, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. This is hypocrisy. This is inconsistency. This is being double-minded, double-tongued, two-faced. And so what's the point? Look at verse 10. Finish verse 10. Here's the point. And here's really the point of the whole passage. I think this is, the, the, this is why my, my sermon is structured the way it is, or this is the point of the passage, verse 10 right here. My brothers and sisters, these things should not what? Should not be this way. I think that's the point that James is trying to get us to, 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 to embrace. It shouldn't be this way. Your words should not be praising God and cursing God's people or people made in God's image, Christian or non-Christian. You should not be inconsistent with your mouth, with your words. You should not be hypocritical. You should not be two-faced. You should not be double-tongued. You should not be double-minded. You should not serve God and other things. No one can serve two masters. It should not be this way. Our tongue should not be used to curse and destroy and sin and tear down and spread evil and poison and sin and foolishness. How can we watch our mouths? How can we control our mouths? Verse, was it verse 8? No one can tame the tongue. Only those who are perfect or mature, it says in verse 2, can control the whole body. This is, how, how can we watch our mouths? How can we control our words? If no one can tame our tongue, how can we? What chance do we have? Now, James points us to the answer by declaring that this hypocrisy, this inconsistency, and this recklessness and bondage to sin and slavery ought not to be. Why should it not be this way? Look at verses 11 and 12. He gives us, it's hidden here. I mean, it's here, but you've got to think it through to get the, to get the help you need from verses 11 and 12. So God's word says in verse 11 and 12, I'm going to read the question. I want you to shout out the answer. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree produce olives? No. no, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? No. Okay? Neither can a salt can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So James' answer is no. There is no inconsistency in springs. There are no inconsistencies with trees, with plants. Why not? Because it is against the nature of the water and the spring to change and be inconsistent. It has a nature. And it stays consistent with its nature. It's against the nature of a lemon tree to produce produce apples. we got a lemon tree in our backyard. Looks like oranges, sometimes. It's not oranges. It's impossible for a lemon tree to produce oranges. Why? Because the nature of the tree is consistent with the fruit it bears. It's against the nature of a human couple to get pregnant and give birth to an animal, to a cat, to a dog. Why? Because the nature of humanity, the nature of the the egg and the sperm, is consistent with the offspring that they bear and produce. That's just nature. It's natural to be consistent. Your words don't only reveal your hypocrisy. Your words reveal your nature. That's the point. Your words reveal your nature. As Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth, what? The mouth speaks. Let me just quote Jesus directly um, verbatim here. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. This is Luke 7, 43 to 45. Thorns aren't gathered from the thorn bushes um, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The issue with your words are not your words. The issue with your tongue is not your tongue. The issue is the heart. The mind, feeling, life direction, control center of your life. What you value most is your heart. I mean, that, that is what the heart is. The heart is the value system and what you value most supremely. If you're not a Christian, I need you to know that your words are an indication of your heart. They reveal what you value, perhaps more than you realize. And James's point here is, it ought not be the case that Christians bless God and curse those made in God's image. It ought not be the case that we share the gospel and spread gossip. It ought not be the case that we speak savory words of God's goodness to some of our friends while speaking slanderous words as if God was absent to another set of our friends. These things ought not to be. Or like James says specifically here, these things should not be this way. Why? Why? Because it's against your nature. Christian, it's against your nature. It's inconsistent with who you are. What is your nature? Look, at, look back at chapter 1, verse 18. What is your nature? By his own choice, God, by God's own choice, God gave us what? What did he give us? He gave us birth by the word of truth. So that we would be kind of first fruits of his creatures. God gave you birth by the word of truth. And so you have the nature of the word of truth. That's the means by which you are born. You have words, the word of truth, that is part of your nature. Or to use another analogy from Ezekiel, um, Jeremiah 30, 31, 33 through 35, I think, maybe 33, God will write his law on your heart. That's part of who you are now. You're born by the Word of and if you're born again by God, we know from James 3, or John 3, you're born by God's Spirit, right? You are a child of God. You're a child of God. You have God's nature in you. Not that you're, you, have, you share in the divine nature, it says in Second Peter chapter 1. You share in God's nature, not that you become God, but as a human made in God's image, you as a Christian share in the divine, holy, truthful, loving nature of God himself. You are born by the Spirit of God. You were brought forth by the word of truth, and that is part of your nature now. You are the first fruits of his new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? He's a new creation. That's who you are. That's who you are. So it ought not to be that your words reveal a different heart, because that's not your heart, unless that is your heart. Right? I mean, that's what James 2 is saying. James 2 is saying, faith without works is what? So you could say you're a Christian, you could say you have the new nature, but your words show your real heart. It shows your real nature. You can't betray it. My lemon tree will keep producing lemons, and it cannot betray lemons. It cannot betray lemonness, because that is its nature. And your words cannot betray who you are. You were born again by the word of truth. That is who you are. The eternal divine word, became flesh and spoke words of life and gave us his words. And And his words remain in us. He's the vine, we're the branches. His words remain in us. He dies for our sins. He rises from the dead. And he gives us his spirit to change us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So now our tongues and our mouths and our words can be used for his glory and honor and for the spread of his gospel. Praise God. Praise God for saving us and changing us and sharing with us his grace and his holiness and his divine nature so that we can become children of God. Praise God that Christ, God the Son, became a man and took on human flesh so that we humans can be in union with the God-man and share in godness to some degree as human image bearers. God is so good to us in Christ, right? He's so good for saving us. And then wonder of wonders, not only does he help us to not say bad things, he helps us to say good things. So that our words have a fire, a powerful fire effect to burn down fortresses of Satan. Right? To burn down forests of lies. To help break people free from death so that they come to life in Christ. To take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. We destroy strongholds with our words. We preach truth and we give the arguments of the Bible with our words to free people. And you know what's crazy? Our words, our bad words burn down for us. Our good words echo and keep reverberating. The words you use to build up another Christian, when you share your takeaways today, it doesn't stop after the five minutes, right? It changes their lives. It changes us. So let's watch our mouths. Let's watch our words. Let's not just avoid sinful words, let's use our words to encourage and edify and build up and inspire and care and investigate and learn and inquire and instruct and commend and praise and invite and impress upon others the goodness of our great God and Savior. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom so that you are teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Don't come late to to the gathering. Come early to sing songs. That's what, that's what Colossians 3 is saying. Because when you sing songs, you build up the church. And you know what we sing? We sing words. We sing words. It's not a throwaway. Singing is not a throwaway in our church. It's not just a prelude to the sermon. We are building up the church. We are teaching each other. We are admonishing each other. We are pressing truths down into the hearts of each other. So that we're not blown around by every wind of teaching and by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but we are speaking and singing the truth in love to build up the body of Christ. So how do you grow in spiritual maturity? So that you you watch your mouth faithfully? Sinclair Ferguson, Ferguson has said, The tongue has no ears, but the heart does. So how do you change your heart? Your tongue doesn't have ears, but the heart does. Hear God's word. Take aim at your heart. When you hear God's word, receive God's word, meditate on God's word, prayerfully, humbly, pray while you're hearing a sermon. You don't just have to pray at the beginning. I pray sometimes while I'm preaching. Because we need God even while we're while we're talking, right? While we're thinking. Prayerfully think about God's word. Get under the ministry of the Word on Sundays and on Wednesdays and in your daily life and read with other people. Listen to God's Word. And church family, let's keep coming and attending and putting your ears with an earshot of good, wise, and godly words by people you love, by people who love you and will speak the truth in love, people who have covenanted to live for your good. I said this already. I'll say it again because I want you to grasp the weight of your words. Every time you speak to someone... Every time you speak to someone, you 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 press on them in some way. To put it another way, you every time you speak to someone, you put a pressure on them that they respond to in a sort of action reaction or a word response. And every experience of action reaction or word response, every experience changes them. So it's not just your words by itself, your words can't control them. They still have to what? Respond to your words. But they'll respond by thinking about it, by dismissing it, by disagreeing with it, by agreeing with it, by taking it further, by journaling on it, right? But no matter what happens, whenever you speak, people have to respond. And in that action, reaction, or word response, they are being changed. Every single time you open your mouth, you shape them. The degree of shaping and direction may vary, but they will never leave the person the same again. And you talk to talkers. You're a talker and you talk to talkers. And those talkers talk to other talkers. And so the ripple effect of your words goes beyond your conversation with them and beyond the people you even know directly. Right? You share a takeaway with people, they're going to go hang out with other people at work this week. In their homes. They're going to have conversations. And you have a chance every Sunday, you have the opportunity to shape them, or at least to contribute to shaping them, by speaking words of love and truth, or the truth in love. Now, they'll respond however they respond, you can't control that, but you have the opportunity to change them. And the ripple effect of this, and the continuing results of your words are literally, and I do mean literally, incalculable. You cannot calculate the impact of your words. When I became pastor here eight years ago, over eight years ago, um, Greg Cochran stood behind this pulpit and said, well, it wasn't this pulpit, it was the gray smoke colored one, but yeah, a pulpit here. But Greg Cochran came and said, he gave this analogy of like some random town in central California that nobody knows. But they ship, I can't remember the analogy. I'm just gonna say grapes. It wasn't grapes, but olives or something. And these olives from central California, from this obscure town, is shipped all around the world. And what Greg Cochran said was, in my installation, he said, I pray that, that from Bellflower, words from, you know, words and the gospel from this, from this building would spread all around the world. And that happens, my point from James is that happens in every church. It's just not always good words. But what I want to say is that it's not a special church, a powerful church, where, oh, in this church, those words spread. No, your words spread all the time. You know, in a whack church, in a weak church, in an unhealthy church, in a false church, in a cult. It doesn't matter where you are. Those words spread because talkers talk, and talkers talk to talkers, and they talk to other talkers, and so your words just keep on spreading. So, learn the importance of your words so that you mature in watching your mouth. Your words will be judged, your words are powerful, your words are a deadly fire, and your words reveal the true nature of who you are. I changed it from hypocrisy, because my main point really is, my fourth point is that your words reveal the true nature of who you are. So remember how important your words are, so that you seek to honor Jesus and change this church. Change me. Change this world with your wise and powerful words. What an opportunity. What a privilege. As one famous, one of my favorite movie lines, I'm going to modify it just a little bit, but it is true. And it's, hopefully after hearing the sermon, it's more true than than you first understood, or it's more more weightier than you first understood. But the line goes like this, with a little twist. What we say in life echoes in eternity. What you say in life echoes in eternity. Father in heaven, help us to feel the privilege and power and responsibility of our words. We thank you for Jesus, the word in flesh who spoke words of life and spoke everything you wanted him to say and puts his words in us that we might not only guard our mouths but change the world with our words. Help us, we pray. Only the mature can control their whole body. Lord, we cannot, we admit we cannot control our mouths on our own. With man, it is impossible, but with you, all things are possible. We can't fit a rich man through the eye of a needle, we can't control our words, but by your grace, rich people can be saved. And by your grace, Christians like us can control our words. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's take uh, three minutes now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let's take uh, three or four minutes now to share a takeaway, one of your takeaways with someone around you. If you're a guest here, feel no obligation to share. Just listen in on a conversation. But members, look around for people who don't have anyone to talk to and share with them. And Pastor Peter, did you email? I did. You did. I didn't see it. Okay, everyone, if I can have your attention here, I need to start with an apology.